0: The ultimate vision is to have all these coastal power plants turned into very low-cost desalination plants. These cooling towers are already desalination units. They are producing this clean water, except that no one is capturing it. It's all going out as plumes and uh, going into the atmosphere. So by capturing that, we really think we can provide a lot of water in, in areas that, that don't have that much. I mean, in the US and, uh, and uh, all over the world. Why
1: hello, Startup Nation. I'm back, doing the thing, picking the brains of intrepid founders and learning how their startups are going to change the world. And today we are all equally blessed to hear from Mar Demuck, co-founder at MIT spawn startup Infinite Cooling. For a first time founder, Mar comes across as thoughtful and seemingly completely in control. He and his co-founders have set Infinite Cooling on an incredible run. First, winning the MIT 100K and earning a grant from the state of Massachusetts. Then, gaining acceptance and even winning the top prize at Mass Challenge, the Boston-based startup accelerator. And finally, they were recently named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for 2019. It's a laundry list of achievements. I'm sure the first of many more. Combining fluid dynamics with mechanical engineering for social good, Mar first worked on creating electrically charged meshes to capture water from fog on mountains to produce drinking water in remote areas of the world that have tons of fog but no rain. Now the technology worked and later they found a massive commercial application capturing water from cooling tower plumes with electrically charged domes. Mar and his team are piloting this new technology with MIT's cooling tower. And now they're looking at raising funding from early stage investors to build the team and launch a number of new projects. Now I see a ton of deal flow from running this podcast. Infinite cooling is something incredibly special. So if if I had a ton of money sitting on the sidelines and I was an accredited investor, I might put my money here. Now while, while profit is certainly important, He also has an eye towards the developing world with hopes to turn high-cost power plants into low-cost desalinization plants to provide clean water globally. Incredible stuff. I bring you Mar Demuk. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, John. How are you?
1: Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm a little tired. Uh, My kid kept me up last night. (laughs) Uh, But I'm excited to be here 8 AM at the Legatum Center at MIT, which I have never been to before, but it's got a beautiful view. Uh, and all the water and coffee you could possibly want. Uh, <laughs> and so you guys uh, at Infinite Cooling are stationed here as well as Mass Challenge for the summer, right?
0: Yes, exactly. We have two offices. Uh, the one here is closer to our pilot, so we are spending some time here when we're working on our pilot, and we have offices at the uh, Mass Challenge in uh, the seaport area. So uh, I heard of you guys five times over the past
1: year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see you in Bostono. I see you in the news at MIT all over the place uh, for your startup, Infinite Cooling. You've won the MIT 100K. You were given a non-dilutive grant uh, by the state of Massachusetts. Uh, It seems like you guys are on this wild run, and you've really only started operations, what, about a year or two years ago? Uh,
0: Well, we've been doing the research for about five years now at MIT, but we started the company a year ago, yes.
1: Sometimes the overnight successes are actually research and work that's been done half a decade earlier.
0: <laughs> Definitely, yes. Right.
1: And so let's talk about yourself a little bit. Uh, you came from Tunisia and you went to Polytechnique uh, in, in France. Uh, what, what got you excited about fluid dynamics, mechanical engineering and engineering in general?
0: Um, well, I've always liked uh, physics and uh, that was uh, my, uh, my focus in uh, undergrad. And then I came to grad school at MIT, and um, I wanted something that had physics, but that had also applications, and uh, uh, that's why I got into mechanical engineering. And I really liked fluid uh, fluid mechanics because it's a broad field; there are a lot of applications, uh, etc. So that's uh, that's really something that I uh, that I liked. And then the other thing that got me into this specific research is really the problem we were we we're trying to solve, how important it was, and how we can combine nice physics, beautiful physics, and nice science with an important problem to solve.
1: Coming into your PhD, uh, most PhD students have a certain reason for going after their PhD. Either they want to do research and become a professor. Others uh, are fascinated about a topic and want to start companies. Did you have an, like a, a purpose or an intent for going to grad school when you first entered MIT?
0: I had kind of a broader purpose. I wanted to experience research and do and do some more research because I hadn't done, I hadn't had the chance to do it uh, much in undergrad, and I was interested in entrepreneurship. So I didn't have a clear uh, idea in mind when I uh, when I came to MIT, but I wanted to do something impactful and uh, eventually start a company. And then I started. Uh, I met my advisor here. We started thinking about this problem, and then I uh, then I realized I could really start a company with this uh, with this work, and that's what kept me going through uh, through my PhD for the past five years.
1: So before you got to uh, fluid dynamics and power plants and capturing uh, vapor, uh, you did your first bit of work in pesticides. Yes. Uh, and did you? Uh, the, the question that you were trying to solve was, well, when you spray pesticides on plants, how can you get the pesticides to stick on the plant instead of running off into the soil where it can cause more damage and, and, and become uh, less effective, right? Is that, did you start with that problem or did you do research into a more fundamental uh, physics and you know, engineering issue and then find the solution?
0: No, we started with that problem. So that's uh, a problem that uh, my advisor, Professor Varanasi, here had identified. Uh, So some studies show that only 2% of sprayed pesticides end up on their intended target and 98% goes to waste. And uh, so we thought it was a really uh, important problem to solve and that we, have the, we had the resources and the um, uh, knowledge in our lab to, to, um, to try to solve it. And the problem there is that most plants are uh, what we call hydrophobic or water repelling. So when you spray these liquids on them, droplets just bounce off the surface or roll off and they end up in the soil going to groundwater and uh, rivers, etc. So they cause a lot of pollutions and it's a big cost for the for the farmers who uh, who spray them. So that's uh, that was the problem we were trying to solve. And then we uh, we tried, we experienced, uh, we we did a lot of experiments. We tried a few solutions. And at the same time, we visited a lot of growers here in the U.S. and abroad, and uh, to see what they were doing currently, what kind of equipment they're using, what kind of materials they're using, and uh, kind of including all of that in our design to come up with a solution that can be easily used. So we've we've been keeping the the end user in mind. So it wasn't just some uh, fundamental research that's uh, unrelated to applications. We really kept thinking about how this will be used in in a field one day. And that's how we developed that solution. And the work is still still going.
1: How do PhD students and advisors come up with viable projects to work on? That's something that's always been fascinating to me. Uh, Does it uh, come into the advisor or the, the the PhD student or the professor through industry? Is it uh, through personal experience or is it research and news that they read that they said, "Hey, I can I can solve that problem."
0: Yeah, it can be it can be either. So for this uh, particular case, my advisor had been to a talk at the USDA and they were mentioning this problem. That's how the, he came across that because neither of us had uh, any experience in agriculture right. before that, and then. So that's one part of the problem. The other part is funding for research. So then we got funding from the Tata Center for Technology and Design here at MIT, which uh, which funds uh, solutions that could help uh, mostly the developing world and uh, India. And uh, so that's the, we got funding from them because agriculture in India is uh, they use a lot of pesticides, and they uh, they were really interested in this uh, in this solution to reduce pollution. And they supported the project for uh, for my whole uh, PhD uh, for my whole PhD. So that's how we uh, that's how we started working on the problem. So it was just it wasn't industry funded or it wasn't it didn't come from industry, but just from a rare, kind of a lucky talk that my advisor went to.
1: Sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time. Exactly. And now uh, looking forward to the work that the research and the work that you've done with infinite cooling. Uh, for uh, trying to capture the evaporation from the the plumes from the power plants. Uh, Was this a situation where you created a technology and was looking for a good application? Or did you, again, find a potential problem out there in the world and decide, hey, we could use the resources that we have here at MIT to solve that?
0: Yeah, so this is uh, an interesting, interesting story because we started looking at a problem but it wasn't this particular problem. We were first uh, looking at fog harvesting. Fog to, harvesting. Yes, to produce drinking water in some remote areas where they have a lot of fog but no uh, no rain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which uh, which uh, which uh, these regions are exist in Chile, Peru, Morocco, and many many places like that. It, it
1: seems like you're focusing on the developing world quite a bit.
0: Would yeah, we had we had a lot of focus on the developing world, but um, but yeah, we we're thinking this can be used every everywhere actually. So. Um, people already do that people have devices that capture fog in these uh, regions so it's basically meshes that they put uh, on mountains and things like that and when fog goes through those meshes some droplets of that fog collect on the mesh and they drip and it can produce uh, some water is it efficient it's very inefficient so the efficiencies are between one and three percent of the fog fog that goes uh, actual water exactly yeah so just about one to three percent of the fog that goes through those meshes gets collected so our idea was to come up with an, uh, a new system that can collect much more of that fog. So, so these are passive systems. We're trying to come up with an active system where you put in some energy and you collect much more of that um, of that water.
1: Electrical fields,
0: exactly. And that's the active uh, solution that we uh, developed. It's using electric fields to charge the water that's coming in, and then apply an electric field that drives it towards the collector. Because right now, what ha- what happens is that because of fluid dynamics when these uh, drop so fog is basically very small droplets that are suspended in the air, and uh when that uh, air with the droplets comes across the mesh droplets when they come close to one of the wires of the mesh they deviate because the air streamlines go around the wires and the droplets just go around they go through the openings of the mesh and they don't hit the wires where where Mm -hmm. to to collect so basically what we did is we introduced this new electric uh, electrical force that uh, overcomes the, um, the air drag forces and pushes the droplets towards the collector so we can have collect most of them.
1: And, and so uh, that was the first product that you actually created, was for fog?
0: Yes, it was for fog. So then the technology worked. We had uh, something that collected uh, close to 100% of the fog that passes uh, through those meshes. And then we started thinking about commercial uh, commercialization and how we can commercialize this fog harvesting technology. And then, um, yeah, we started looking into the economics and uh, we found that yeah, fog, fog is a good problem. But there is this uh, even more uh, uh, important problem that's uh, cooling tower plumes. And uh, what's interesting here is that the plumes that come out of cooling towers in um, power plants and other industrial processes and even buildings for HVAC, etc., the, these plumes are very similar to fog. It's almost exactly the same thing. They are droplets of water suspended in the air, same size droplets. It's, it's exactly the same system. So our technology could directly be applied there. With I mean, we changed the design a little bit, but the core technology was exa- exactly the same.
1: Was it, was it an, an easy thought process to discover the plumes in power plants and HVAC systems? Or was it another eureka moment like, oh my gosh, here's an application where it could be truly economically viable was it an
0: obvious application uh, i wouldn't say it, it was obvious at first now uh, now it is in seems, retrospect uh, super obvious but um, but yeah the thing is we, t- we started thinking about commercialization we were thinking about fog harvesting, but then we, so we thought, let's, let's explore all the possible applications before focusing on these fog harvesting devices. And then we started looking at all uh, different industries, see where we can, uh, we have these kind of uh, water losses and where we can, um, we can apply this technology. And then we came across these uh, cooling towers. And actually we have a cooling tower just across the street from our office. So I was seeing these plumes every day and uh, <laughs> then I realized, okay, we can capture that actually.
1: Are they gonna be your, your beta
0: tester? Yes. Oh, that, is that true? Yeah, that's our pilot, yeah. It's is, a power is, plant. is that an
1: MIT plant?
0: It's a, it's a 20 megawatt power plant that powers the MIT campus, and it's just across the street from uh, from my office uh, at our in our lab.
1: And uh, considering you're from MIT, working here uh, and doing research here, you just walk over and say, hey, can, can, can I make use of your power plant?
0: Things? Yeah, so, so that's what we did. Was it an and, easy ask? Um yeah I think uh, they were pretty excited about it we even got funding from MIT to do to do the project so uh yeah from, from the office of sustainability at MIT so uh, I think uh, yeah the 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 people at the power plant were pre- are, are still pretty excited about this project because it can help them reduce costs and uh, enhance the sustainability uh, uh, efforts uh, on campus so so yeah it has been a really good uh, partnership and uh, it it still is
1: what are the steps that uh, you need to take uh, as, uh, as a Ph.D. at MIT working on the genesis of the technology that you're about to uh, commercialize at a university? What are the steps to take that from uh, academia and turning it into a business? What are some of the things that uh, for all those academics out there who want to commercialize technology, what are those steps that you had to make in order to start your company?
0: I think the first step and uh, one of the most important ones is really understanding what uh, starting a company means. And uh, for that, uh, I took a class at MIT called Energy Ventures that's uh, taught by uh, Bill Olet uh, and uh, Todd Hines here. And um, that was really uh, the it was really a critical step because that kind of demystified the entrepreneurship process. It br- broke it down into steps, and then we it's kind of before that it seemed, yeah how, how do you start a company this seems very complicated but after that you see that there are a few steps that you need to follow and then yeah you can you can do it so i think that's understanding what are the steps it was the first step i guess mm-hmm. and uh, and then yeah so understanding the um, the market the customers really really getting making sure that there is someone who will buy this uh, product and that's it's generating value uh, rather than saying okay, I have this cool product, it's gonna sell itself or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think that that was really one of the most uh, most important things. And after that, yes, it's really talking to customers and um, understanding what they want. And uh, I think we we had some iterations on the product based uh, based on that, getting feedback from the customers, or what what they worry about when they hear about this technology, and addressing those um, those worries. That's uh, yeah, that's what we've been doing for the past uh, year or two uh, here at MIT after, after doing the fundamental uh, research.
1: So let's talk about the team. Yeah. What, what is the composition of the, the founder core set?
0: Yeah, so we were three original founders. So um, me, one of my uh, lab mates, uh, Karim Khalil, who is uh, the CTO of the, of the company now, and uh, my PhD advisor, Professor Kripa Varanasi, who is a professor in mechanical engineering and uh, who has founded a few other companies uh, over the last few years, uh, so he's uh, he's done this uh, he's he's done this before.
1: So it must it must feel good to know that you're working with an advisor uh, who has done this before.
0: Oh yes, definitely. So we had uh, I mean he's been really helpful, and uh, I think we. Uh, we work, uh, we work really well together as a team, and he has a lot of uh, good advice on starting a, a company and a good network. So that, that was really helpful.
1: In doing my research on your technology, the thing that shocked me the most was understanding that almost 40% of the world's water is used in power plant generation. Yes,
0: yeah, so about 40% of water withdrawals uh, go to power plants, and most of it is uh, for cooling. So, um, <clears throat> so, so, yeah. There are different types of cooling uh, of cooling systems uh, that they use, but the most common cooling system is uh, cooling towers, which uh, which are basically these. Uh, I mean, there are, there are different types of cooling towers, but uh, when you <clears throat> for the big power plants, it's those hyperbolic structures. Uh, the usually the biggest structure on a power plant, yep. and you see these uh, white uh, clouds or plumes coming out of them. Some people mistake it for smoke or some kind of pollution, but it's actually just water, water that's coming out. And uh, so those cooling, cooling towers are the most common system, and that's where most, if almost all of the water usage um, occurs. And that's, uh, that's really our target, uh, our target customer is uh, retrofitting those cooling towers to, um, to recover the water that's coming out.
1: And so based on some of the work that you've done, what are the the physical contraptions that you have to place on these cooling towers? What do they look like? Do they look like mesh?
0: Yeah. So it it will be a mesh, but uh, it will be a dome-shaped mesh that will place on top of these um, uh, cooling towers. And uh, so when the plumes um, come out, they go through the mesh, and all the water gets captured on that mesh, and air can still go through. Mm Mm-hmm. So um so yeah it's basically just a half dome that will sit on the um, on top of the cooling tower
1: and then the water gets captured and flows right back into the the system.
0: Yeah, so the water gets captured, it drips down to the periphery of the uh, of the dome. It gets captured in a uh, collection uh, collection system and then it's piped down uh, to the either to the cooling tower for reuse or to other applications uh, in the power plant or for nearby communities because the other thing about this um, this technology is that the water that we collect is extremely pure mm-hmm. it's distilled water because the way these cooling towers work is that they take water make it evaporate and then that vapor when, when it comes out it condenses again so basically it's distilled water it's water that has been evaporated and then recondensed so that's really pure water and that's very valuable so power plants need distilled water for some other applications like boiler feed and uh, things like that and that they pay a lot of a lot more money for that uh, extremely pure water so we can provide that Uh, and we can use the rest for the for the cooling towers that's our kind of our first uh, first application but for the future we're thinking of more involved applications that involve upcycling of water instead of recycling where there are cooling towers that use dirty water or uh, wastewater or even sea water in some places and if you can generate clean water from that uh, wastewater mm-hmm. it's uh really turning waste into a into a valuable resource and that we can provide a lot more value there and then we can distribute the water to nearby communities for for uh, residential or agricultural use etc so those are the applications that we'll be thinking uh, of in in the next couple of years but for now we're starting with the simplest system
1: oh yeah oh yeah and um and so, what has been the reception of the power plant owners to what you are proposing, and what are there? What are some of the concerns that you had to develop around?
0: Yeah, so so they were very receptive because uh, these power plants, uh, it's um, they have very low profit margins. So uh, and usually they have explored any every other way to cut down costs and uh, <laughs> everything. Else, most of the things have already been improved for power plants. So yeah, it's a highly so,
1: optimized piece of equipment
0: exactly yeah so w- whenever there is a new technology that can help them uh, cut costs they are they are pretty excited uh, especially in competitive markets where um, power the power market is um is kind of unique because all these power plants compete on prices so uh, to whenever you i mean now it's uh, it's uh, it's every 15 minutes or so so right now it's 8 uh, 30 a.m we need a certain amount of power, let's say uh, 10 gigawatts for uh, for Massachusetts, and then power plants compete to deliver those 10 gigawatts. And whenever but we have more than that in uh, Massachusetts, so the ones with the lowest prices are the ones that are going to get dispatched and they base they bid. So they, every power plant uh, power plant bids a certain price and the ones with the lowest prices get dispatched so if you can if we can cut down costs for a power plant they can bid at a lower price and be dispatched more so that's an additional uh an additional incentive for them so yeah there is a there is a large incentive to reduce costs for these power plants so they've been they've been pretty receptive but for for the worries so Power plants. The the main worry of a power plant is to shut down because if you, if they shut down for a couple of weeks and they're not generating for two weeks, that's a, that's a huge loss for them. It's a, it's much more loss than we will save them at the end. So so shutdown is really the main worry. And whoever tries to sell something to a power plant where you need to shut down the plant, replace some piece of equipment, or something like that, they they get a lot of resistance from from power plants.
1: Is there uh, it, well your uh, equipment is not a, an essential piece for their operations, but would you have to shut down their plant for an amount of time to do the installation, or can you work with with the vapors going?
0: Yeah, so we don't have to shut down the plant. That's uh, that's one uh, really one of the advantages. So we we wouldn't work with the vapor going out, but uh, the thing the way these um, power plants or cooling towers are sized is that. They have many cooling towers and they are sized for the hottest possible day. But on most other days, if it's not July and it's not super hot, they're not running all their cooling towers. They're running just a few of them and they circulate between them. So we can just shut down, not use the cooling tower on which we are working uh, at the time, Uh, do the cooling with the others and then switch. And then we can do our installation without shutting down the plant.
1: Nice. And if something breaks, then it's not going to shut down that cooling tower.
0: No. Essentially. Uh, no, exactly. So there is no, there's really no effect on the um, on the cooling towers or on the power plant, and that's that's been really well received by uh, the customers we've talked to because they said, worst case for me, your thing doesn't work, doesn't capture water, but I can still operate as usual. So I have, I don't have much to lose by uh, by trying or uh, buying your um, your your product.
1: So when does the first pilot actually go live? Because the, the testing you've done has been in the lab, or have you done it in the wild?
0: Uh, We've done a lot of testing in the lab. We have a lab scale prototype that's working really well. And right now we are doing a pilot at the MIT uh, 20 megawatt uh, cogeneration plant. So we've built, I mean, uh, we've built this 20 foot uh, dome uh, there at the plant. So right now it's still on the ground. It's not installed yet. We're doing some testing on the ground uh, and uh, it's scheduled for installation in the fall. So in in a few months.
1: You must be excited and nervous at the same time.
0: Yeah, we are very excited. We are uh, yeah, we're trying to do as much optimization as we can now on the ground because it's much easier to do work on it here than on top of a cooling tower. So that's yeah. uh, <laughs> that's why we're taking uh, a few months to do uh, all the possible tests and uh, and then yeah, we're we're excited to have it there uh, live.
1: What are you hoping to see uh the the data coming from the pilot? Like what what are the what are the metrics that you need to hit in order to feel like you've hit upon something that could be on every cooling
0: tower. Yeah, so the main the main metric is the uh, collection rate, so we want to measure how much water we're getting from those uh, from those plumes. So uh, right now we expect um, we expect to recover about 20% of all their water consumption um, in the power plant. That's uh, that's kind of the um, of the target and we'll be uh, will be measuring that uh, with our with our pilot. The other thing is we're, we're gonna be capturing uh, most of the liquid water, so those droplets that are in the plume, because the plume is composed of vapor and liquid, so the, the visible plume is liquid water, it's droplets like fog, but there is some water in a vapor phase, in a gas phase that we, we don't capture uh so so we're capturing most of the liquid water and that will induce a much less visible plume so that's something else that will uh, that will be uh, visible is that we'll see a plume reduction so because uh, it will be, all be captured on our uh, on our dome so those are kind of the immediate metrics and then we want to do some uh, water analysis, see what's the quality of that water. So I said it should be distilled water, but we'll see if there is some if it still needs some treatment before it can be used, uh, things like that. Uh, and um, and then yeah, some other things on the longer term, see all the maintenance requirements, uh, understand better understand those uh, those parts as well. So so you've got uh, three founders total yes. still,
1: um, and. You've got you, your co-founder, and your advisor, who's also a co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, what what does the future of the team look like? Are you looking to hire right now? Uh, because it seems like you're still looking for technical positions. Or are you starting to look for HR and marketing and and, and sales? Or does that seem like it's a year or two away? Uh,
0: no. So actually, we are four right now. So we hired a COO uh, two, two months ago uh he's uh he has an mba from sloan from 2009 you guys don't stray
1: too far from the mit (laughs) circle very nice very nice but
0: uh but he's been working in the energy and power industry for the past 10 years so he has a lot of experience he was a cfo of a company that builds power plants so um uh, so really we're really excited to have him his his name is derek uh, warnick so um he's taking care of business development and uh, also uh, finance and um uh, and uh, things like that. So, so right now we're, uh, we're raising our seed round and uh, as soon as we raise, we're gonna hire more technical people. So engineers, uh, mostly mechanical and uh, electrical uh, engineers.
1: And what are, what are you going to do with those new resources? Just optimize the
0: technology and the product? Yeah, so opti- optimi- optimize uh, the technology and then we have a few other projects. We have another installation that we'll do after this, uh, this pilot and hoping to do another one uh, by mid-2019. So really getting, uh, they're getting these people to work to design these new uh, projects and uh, improve the technology. And uh, I feel getting people from the beginning is good to uh, have them grow with the company and uh, become, be able to train other engineers in the future. So we want to hire them as soon as possible.
1: How are you thinking about your fun, This fundraising process. This is the first. Is this the first time you've gone after uh, dilutive funding for either this project or anything else you've done in the past?
0: Personally, yes. So yeah. my my PhD advisor has done it a few times. A few but times, yeah. yeah. It's the first time for me, yes. So so he's
1: helping you helping your team through this whole process. Um, I'm sure you've already started some conversations with VCs and angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you looking for in a venture capitalist or an angel investor from a personality standpoint, from a uh, industry experience standpoint and from a capital standpoint?
0: Yeah, so so we're looking for investors that are really that know about this industry uh, a little bit, that can make connections, introduce us to uh, to customers and uh, partners, etc. So we we don't just want just a check, we want something uh, a little more than that. So we're looking for people who know about the industry and really people who are excited about this, uh, this problem and this technology who are who really understand that water is a big problem and that this uh, this technology has a huge potential. And we, we really are looking for people who share this uh, mindset and who are. Um, so we've been mostly talking to um, to angels, uh, family offices, uh, etc. who are who kind of have this vision of um, g- I mean, having the company grow over a few years and uh, really not, uh, instead of trying to, um, to, have the, to maximize the profits in, uh, in one or two years, really... Uh, you want to create
1: a, a business for the long term.
0: Exactly, yes. Because we believe that this has a lot of, uh, of potential and uh, the objective is not just to make uh, get a lot of revenues and, uh, and uh, sell it, but really to grow this and uh, to achieve its full potential. So what is that full potential that, that you dream about? What,
1: what do you envision that this company could become for the world?
0: Yeah, I think this can have a huge impact because if this is installed on all power plants, it can, it can really have a, um, a dramatic impact on the water crisis. It can, uh, um, it can save in the US alone, it can save hundreds of billions of, uh, of gallons um, every year and uh, more than that right now there um, with the water crisis in a lot of regions around the world people are going towards desalination and these very expensive water technologies to produce clean water for people to drink and okay. to, uh, to use and this can be can really be an alternative uh, a much lower cost alternative so the ultimate vision is to have all these coastal power plants turned into very low cost desalination plants because these these cooling towers are already desalination units. They are producing this clean water, except that no one is capturing it. It's all going out as plumes and uh, going into the atmosphere. So by capturing that, we really think we can provide a lot of water in some in areas that uh, that don't have that much. Uh, I mean, in the U.S. and uh, and all over the world. And that's really the impact that uh, we want to have on the. Um, on the for the water for the water crisis and apart from that it's it's a financial gain for the for power plants or other industries so i think we can uh, we can save a lot of uh, customers uh, a lot of money doing this Uh,
1: thinking about your startup from a startup's perspective uh, what are you the most excited about when you look forward for the next five years for your company and what scares you the most
0: what i'm excited about is to see this uh, deployed so i want to see this installed on uh, on many power plants and have these uh, power plants uh, excited about it and really uh, eventually what i want it to be is a new a new standard for uh, for best water practices in power plants so have this whenever you build a cooling tower it has to be or everyone thinks that it has to be equipped with infinite coolings product to uh, to capture water and uh, to limit uh, to limit waste so that's really uh, That's really kind of uh, the hope here. So right now, whenever whoever builds a plant, they think, okay, I have to do cooling. I'll buy a cooling tower. That's uh, that's a no-brainer. Cooling towers are the most uh, used system. We want we want our product to be in that kind of uh, category. So yeah, I'm building a power plant. I need a cooling tower, and I need infinite cooling.
1: Right. The, The the perfect channel partners are those who build the cooling towers.
0: Uh, not necessarily. So for for new cooling towers, uh, for new power plants, they can be a good partner when it's installed in the, from the beginning. But for other plants, so the, our biggest market is retrofits. And then, I mean, those companies have already sold the cooling towers, so we can do the retrofits with uh, with other uh, EPCS or construction companies. And uh, I mean, the manufacturers. They could be a partner but they may not be it depends
1: is there a uh, are there standards for sizing of cooling towers or is every single one very unique and different
0: no they are they are pretty similar actually and that's another advantage here so I mean they vary in size but for power plants they are usually between 15 20 feet and 30 feet and they have a number of them if the power plant is bigger they'll have more of them and mm-hmm. that's it so they're all circular in 20 and 30 feet so really uh the technology is the same you just uh, adjust the size of the dome and uh, we can install these on any on any power plant
1: so if, if you could pick up your cell phone right now mm-hmm. and get on the phone with anyone
0: yeah
1: in the world and they would be have an excited one hour conversation with you uh who are you getting on the phone with
0: uh I have to think, uh, think a little bit about it. If I'm thinking about sales, I would like to get on the phone with the CEO of one of these m- biggest uh, power plant companies and pitch this to them and uh, convince them that they need to install this technology on all their power plants. <laughs> I think that's the phone call I, I would want to have.
1: And are there any business leaders in the world today that you admire, that you want to follow?
0: uh yeah there there are a few yeah um uh i wouldn't say i have one favorite but i'm i follow i i follow a few i follow some some big names like elon musk uh, jeff Bezos, etc but uh, there also have also a few friends uh, here who started companies uh, who are not maybe that famous yet but uh, that i feel are uh, very inspiring and uh, i try to chat with them regularly and i think they're also very inspiring
1: how helpful has the the community been uh, in your in your quest to build your startup
0: oh it's been really helpful so getting uh, talking to these uh, kind of more experienced entrepreneurs uh, in the area from MIT and from the boston area in general has been really helpful <clears throat> because they would tell me uh, how they started, all the issues they came across, and uh, they have a lot of valuable advice that you don't really find in books and things like that, that much, but really having these uh, one-on-one conversations with people that have done it before. Uh, I've learned a lot of stuff, and uh, I think that uh, helped us save a lot of times and avoid a few pitfalls uh, along the way.
1: Um so now you're a seasoned early stage entrepreneur. You've done this. You you've mm-hmm. uh you've avoided some pitfalls and I'm sure you've probably stepped in some ruts mm-hmm. that you've had to work yourself out of. Uh is there a, a an insider's piece of advice that you have for uh for those people who are just about to start their company that might allow them to avoid a pitfall that either you were able to avoid or you had to work way, work your way through?
0: Yeah. I would say Talking uh, to the customer uh, or to as many customers as possible is the most important thing in my mind because we did that a little bit, but still, um, I mean, it's very, it's very, I think it's very easy to start thinking of a solution uh, on our own. And we did that a little bit in the beginning and uh, whenever we tried to come up with a pricing model, things like that, we, we try to think what makes the most sense, but really talking to the customers and talking to as many people as uh, possible about this is really what gives us uh, what gives you the best insights i think so we changed our business model and our pricing model etc a few times because every time we think we have the we have the right one and then we talk to more people and we we see that we can create more values with a different uh, the different approach and i think spending a lot of time on brainstorming and uh, exploring all options and getting them to customers and seeing what they think is really important. So right now we have a business model that are, we're really happy with, but it took us, uh, we just changed it a few months ago. So it took us a couple of years of iterations to reach this uh, this business model. All
1: right, Maher, thank you so, Maher, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Good luck w- for you and your team with Infinite Cooling. And I'm looking forward to walking by MIT's, uh, MIT's power plant and seeing that plume, down to almost nothing in a couple months.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much for coming.